All right, so I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Erin, and um, yes, I am a pastor. See, y'all just... Thank you, thank you. Respect, respect. <laughs> um, uh, out of curiosity, um, how many of you guys are here from the Yonsei Exchange Program? Okay, y'all just done taking over, okay. How about uh, UIC, any UIC kids in the house? All right, represent the four, all right, nice. Okay, rolling in deep. Okay, how about um, from other campuses, Seoul National, you in the house? Hi. Uh, I know Ida is here. Iwa, where are you at? Yeah, that way. Yeah. <laughs> and she parties while she's up. Hey. Okay. <laughs> um, anybody else from a different campus? Yeah, where are you from? Korea University? That's what's up. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Oh, we have two. Oh, hey, Doreen, that's right. Um, so my name is Erin. Uh, I've been out in Korea for about five and a half years now. Uh, the story was when I first came, uh, I wasn't planning to live here for five years. Uh, my plan was to be here for about a year. Um, but I came, God pretty much tore my life inside out, upside down. I fell in love. I got married. And now I am pastoring the church with my husband, who I think a bunch of you guys saw on Sunday. How many of you guys got to visit New Philly Church this past Sunday? Nice. Yeah, that crazy man, that's, that's my baby, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, that's, that's my boo. That's my honey. We've been married for almost four years now. Uh, he's from Philly. I'm from New York. Any, any New Yorkers in the house? All right. Okay. All right. One deep. Okay. So, um, I know there's, there's mad California people where you can, okay, go ahead, California. All right. Anybody from other than the States, Canada? Yeah. Hey, okay. Canadian. So gentle. Yay. <laughs> All right. How about, how about just straight up? Not in even the North America, just anywhere else. Australia. We got Australia in the house. Oh, Vietnam. Okay. Vietnam, Australia. Come on, Malaysia, Malaysia, Saffron in, Saffron in Malaysia. Okay, there we go. And Africa, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> and no, they're not playing. They're for really, they're really from Africa. Everyone's like, Shh, no one's going to believe that. No, for real. <laughs> Egypt and Togo in the house. <laughs> yeah, so I've been living out here for about five and a half years, and uh, I've been directing this ministry for almost four years now. Um, you guys saw our amazing introduction of the staff, right? Incredible introduction. Um, staff, why don't you just say, hey, just lift up your hands. Okay, that's the staff, all beautiful young people. Um, and what's cool is about half the staff used to be in many of your positions right now. Uh, they used to be exchange students themselves. Um, we're here for about a semester, a year, and thought that that was going to be it. But pretty much that's not how it went down. Their lives were changed and they came back and uh, have been part of this ministry ever since. And so um, if the staff who used to be an exchange student at one point, if you guys can just, or UIC, exchange or UIC, the four lovely ladies here. Okay. All right, come on, let's just, you know. Come on. Nobody's excited about that. <laughs> and so the first question that we get a lot is, um, you know, why are we called Emmaus? Why Emmaus Campus Ministry? Um, why is that your name? Uh, and yeah, I think today my message is going to be, uh, from that question. You know, a lot of people, we tend to ask ourselves why a lot. You guys ever ask why? 
Why? Sometimes why is a really important question. Sometimes why is a very distracting question. Uh, sometimes we don't really need to know the answer. You know, I was Googling why, and when you type in Google why, sometimes a couple of things come up. Uh, some of the things that came up was, why is the sky blue? Okay, deep, wow. <laughs> For me, I don't really care. Um, why does your stomach growl? Okay. Why is your poo green? <laughs> that one, I had to... Why is your poo green? <laughs> My poo, but why is your poo green? Okay, um... Sometimes we ask ourselves, you know, why? Why am I here? Um, am I here to just have fun? Why am I in Korea? Why have I been here for so long? Uh, I want to answer kind of a major why tonight. Why don't you guys open up your Bibles, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24. Oh, I love it. Half of y'all with the Bible, half y'all with your phones. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to judge you. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at verses 13 to 35. It's a really long passage and it's so conveniently titled, On the Road to Emmaus. Ha. Huh. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, one sentence, and then you guys read the next verse, and vice versa. We'll banter back and forth, okay? You guys ready? All right, I'm going to start with 13. We're going to end at verse 35. You can read whatever version you have. doesn't matter. Just read along. Here we go. Uh, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Amen. 
Amen. So this is actually a pretty comical picture. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this passage on the road to Emmaus, but here are two disciples. And you know what? Their posture is, says in the word, they were sad. Basically, they were walking sad. I was going to say another word, and it just didn't come out. They were walking really discouraged. They were walking um, disappointed. The fact is, they thought that Jesus was supposed to save the day. That's the way that he came off. That's what people began to believe. Jesus is the man. He's the man. He's going to restore Israel. He's going to save the day. And what happens to their hero? He dies. And here they are three days after he, he's dead, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus. Now, sometimes I wonder why the Bible gives the details that it does. If you look in the first verse of the passage we read was, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. What's the point of mentioning that seven miles? You know, when I have a, the end of the day kind of conversation with my husband, I ask him, babe, how was your day? He says, good. He says, how was your day? I was like, well, in the morning I woke up and what happened was, you know, my hair was a little bit tangled. So I got my spray. I sprayed it. I ran it down. I picked my outfit and the outfit was really good. I came out looking cute. And then, and he's like, why is that necessary? I was like, what? I'm trying to tell you about my day. It's like, why do you have to put in all those unnecessary details? Here's the thing. I may give some unnecessary details, but the Bible never does. Every word in the Bible has significance. So why? Why mention seven miles? Let's start there. Why that? Why seven miles? Why that minor detail? Here, they're on this road to Emmaus. They're disappointed. They're upset. Their hero, great big hero, has fallen to the ground and died. Okay, he's dead. He's been dead for three days. You guys ever had a hero? You ever had, you ha- were you ever disappointed? No? I remember, you ever believe in Santa Claus? I personally never grew up believing in Santa Claus. Why? Because I never had a chimney. So I was like, I guess this is not going to work out for my family. Um, and my parents never even, you know, they never even tried to play along. They didn't really care. But I remember when I, uh, I used to study education, I was planning on being a teacher and I did this internship at a nursery school. And here in this nursery school, it was a bunch of intelligent four-year-olds, intelligent. I say intelligent because one of them, Yuval, she was the daughter of one of my professors. Um, she stood up one day during Christmas time and said, there's no such thing as Santa Claus kid you not like everyone's face was like no like she just I know they're fallen hero dead in a moment actually one of the moms had to talk to Yuval and be like Yuval in our family Santa Claus does exist (laughs) taking their kid away crying just trying to you know take care of their poor crying child but here, I mean, Jesus, we can't compare him to Santa Claus, please. This was supposed to be the man that was really supposed to rescue Israel. They were under the Roman rule, and they were under this oppression, and they wanted to be free. Because everywhere in the Bible, all the way from Abraham, was this promise that Israel was going to be this redemptive nation. But they were under the rule of, Roman, of the Romans. And so they thought Jesus was going to be the one to rescue them, but he apparently, he wasn't. He died. And so they had every plan, every desire to go follow Jesus. And then when Jesus rescues, be the new, you know, rulers and authorities of that area. They were very well prepared for that. So when the plan didn't go as they thought, they decided, you know what? We're going to have to switch gears. And I think my plan is now to go to Emmaus. And so they're on this road to Emmaus and who appears before them? Jesus. But get this, they don't even recognize him. 
Not only do they not recognize him, but one of them insults Jesus. Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? He's like, you don't know? Fool. How do you not know what's been going on? This is Jesus he's talking to. I bet later on he's like, dang it. Totally messed up on that. They don't recognize Jesus, and, and they begin to talk about this man that was supposed to restore Israel, but, but didn't do it. He died. And now there's this huge controversy. And you know what? I bet Emmaus was plan B. That road to Emmaus was plan B. Listen, plan A, Jesus raised, being you know, raised up as this king and ruler didn't work out, so plan B is now in action. We're just going to go to Emmaus and see how things roll out. Have you guys ever been disappointed before? Maybe disappointed even when it turns to spiritual things. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live life for God. And you really tried it, and it just didn't work out. All of a sudden, you decided to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to go to plan B. But here on this journey to plan B, they meet Jesus, don't initially recognize him. But later on, it says that he opens the scriptures to them. And from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, well, not really the end, the end of the Old Testament, Um, he begins to show all the prophetic words that were spoken about him. The funny thing is I, as a Christian, I grew up in the church. I thought that only the new Testament talked about Jesus. And I was like, what's the point of the old Testament? I just don't get it. But later you realize that all of the old Testament, it's all a sign pointing to just one thing. And that's Jesus Christ. And so he begins to open it up and he begins to say, look, here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. And all of a sudden they say that they experienced a burning in their heart. And finally, it's time for them to spread different ways. And it's time for Jesus. And he pretends to go further. I love that. He just like pretends to go further. The thing is, it was the more mannerly thing to do. He wasn't going to be like, let me go with you. That wasn't his plan. So he pretends to go further, kind of seeing what they're going to do about it. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. You have to stay with us. The day is already spent. And then he goes in, they eat, he breaks bread. And all of a sudden it says their eyes were open and they realized it's Jesus. And the moment they realize it, he vanishes. How freaking awesome is that? I just want to do that. I just want to be like, bam, and out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here and I'm gone. In an instant, Jesus just vanquished. It said here, the day was long spent. Listen, the day's over. Jesus, come with us. But what does it say? The moment that they realized that Jesus was in front of them, they got up and went all the way back to Jerusalem. How long was that path? Seven miles. Seven miles. They ran all the way back to that long journey that they came from. And I say long because seven miles isn't in our Nike sneakers and paved ground. I'm talking about dirt and sandals and rocks, probably not the most comfortable, but it didn't matter. They saw Jesus and ran back to Jerusalem, ran back and told all the disciples it's true. Now I want to talk about why, why am I here? Why is the staff here? Why do we do what we do? It's all here in this one passage. Why have I been here for five and a half years when I'm born and raised in New York? I can't speak that good of Korean. I can obviously I can't even speak English right now, but my Korean is pretty bad. Um, why am I here? Things in Korea are great, but it's also uncomfortable. All of my family is back in New York. Why am I here? Why do I spend my time setting things up for this ministry? Why are the staff here? Most of them are full-time workers. They have jobs, nine to six. After their work, they run all the way out here to have fellowship with you guys, to do ministry here. Why do they do that? Why? 
is it because we're church people? I like how I did church people. Uh, some in my mind, that's how it goes. <laughs> why do we do it? Let me give you an image of why these disciples ran seven miles back home. Why? Because Jesus was dead. Okay. You guys didn't get that. Jesus was dead. And all of a sudden he's alive. That's kind of crazy. He was dead and then he was alive. This is where the why lies in for all of us. He was dead and now he's alive. Catch this. I once was dead. And now I'm alive. What I mean by that is what is life? Uh Oh, now I'm getting, oh, everyone's like, really? (laughs) What is life? What if I proposed to you that life wasn't just about a bunch of great experiences? What if I told you that life was about a relationship? What if I told you that you're not really living life unless you have a relationship, not with each other, but the one who's the creator? It says this in John 17, three, and this is eternal life that they know you, the one and true God. That's eternal life. You know, I remember my friends trying to convince me to go bungee jumping. I was like, why? That's dumb. Why go on a string and hope that it doesn't break and jump off a bridge? Why do that? Why? They're like, dude, it's the life. We got to live life to the fullest. Like, no, you don't. I personally want to go skydiving because why? It's the life. No, I'm kidding. But I mean, we just, we make a lot of excuses of why we do the things we do. Why? Because we got to live life to the fullest, right? But I'm telling you, the word of God says, this is eternal life that they may know you. What I'm saying is eternal life. What true life is, is relationship with God. See, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, there was this, this, um, in Genesis, it said, and the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, when I first heard this passage, I was so confused. Why? Because they ate it and they didn't die. I was like, was God lying? They ate it, but they didn't die. So I don't get it. What died that day? I don't understand. And finally it dawned on me. Something did die. God spoke the truth. But what was death was the fact that their relationship with God got cut off. All of a sudden their relationship is now forfeited. Therefore they don't know true life. Now they're death. Now they're dead. Now I'm talking about not just any life, but I'm talking about the life. You guys know that God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. I'm going to take off my scarf. (laughs) Things are getting really serious here. I grew up in church. Okay. My dad was an elder. My mom was a deaconess. I was the first to be at church. I was the last to be at church. It's just what I grew up in. But it's funny because there's a verse in the Bible that says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And what I knew growing up in church was a letter. And what I mean by that is I knew rules. I knew what I couldn't do and I knew what I should have done. And that was my only concept of Christianity. This is what you can do and this is what you can't do. And the more I try to live like that, the more I felt like I was dying. Literally felt like I was dying. And I came to the point where I was like, this is dumb. I just, I can't do this anymore. So by the time I went to college, I wild out. 
And that I was free. I was about three hours away from, you know, my home. I studied upstate New York, which like cows and fields and cows and fields. And there's nothing to do but get drunk and do drugs. Okay. Seriously. It's not my fault. There's nothing else to do. No other form of recreation. That's my case. And I'm going to stick to it. And so here I am in college and, you know, all I did was I just went bananas. I just went crazy. And my first boyfriend in college, I actually came in with a boyfriend, you know. Um, he actually was going to go to another college, but he came and followed me to my college. And I broke up with him like a month into college. Yeah, I know. I think to this day he doesn't like me very much. But I broke up with him to start dating a, a, another guy, high quality, drug dealer. Yes, scored. And through this guy, all of a sudden, now I was open to the world of drugs and I just began to get involved with all sorts of things. Why? Why did I do this? Because I thought that was life. I thought church was death because all church told me is what I couldn't do. And I thought, you know what? If I can do what I feel like, that's life. If I can experience everything there's to experience, that's life. That was my definition of life. And so I did it all. I did it all. I know it's not something you hear from your typical pastor. I should be telling you guys, open up your Bibles. You know, all I did all my days was read the Bible. No, I did a lot of drugs. That's what I did. I did a lot of drugs. It's unfortunate. Um, I was extremely promiscuous. Sex, drugs, stealing, partying, drinking, sex, drugs, stealing, partying, drinking, kind of like a, a beautiful cycle that I thought was life. And I genuinely hit points where I was like, this is amazing. This is everything that I want. This is awesome. I can, I'm so free. I'm finally free until finally one day it just dawned on me, man, is this it? Is this all there is? Because I pretty much, I tried everything. Is there is there more? And I hit a point where all of a sudden I wasn't so satisfied anymore. And I began to do drugs, not with people, but I started doing it by, your, by myself, which is a bad sign. And I began to do it not to have fun, but just to cope because things were just getting so stressful for me. And it just began to spiral down more and more and more. And I just began to question things like, are my friends really my friends? Because they're my friends when we're high. But when I really need someone to be there for me, I'm not sure if they really care. And so this was the life I thought that I was supposed to live. But here I realized that I stepped more into the realm of death. I was dying. For four years it was a slow death, a death that I kind of didn't know initially at first. And one day I realized I'm about to die. And I hit a point where it was rock bottom. And I thought to myself, I can't, I don't want to continue life. At least what I thought life was. And so I hit a desperate point. And in that desperate point was when I just began to think about God again. And here I went on this retreat and God totally, I mean, met me and it was these very words that brought me back to life. The fact that he brings the dead back to life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. 
It says in verse 1 um, all the way to 9 that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. When I said I was dead, I was dead. I had no relationship with God at that moment, completely disconnected with the creator, with my maker, and totally living life like I thought I was supposed to. And I was dead. And here it hit me, this point where, oh my gosh, God brings the dead back to life. And all of a sudden, this hopelessness began to fade away and a hope began to regain. Listen, the reason why I'm here, the reason why I do what I do is because I believe in this simple truth, that God brings the dead and he makes it alive. That's what I believe. I'm not here to tell you religion. I'm not here to talk about rules. I'm not here about don't do this, don't do that. I'm here about introducing you to a relationship. I'm talking about introducing you to real life. I'm talking about true life. A life that is ever satisfying. A life that's so ridiculously adventurous, unpredictable, so sick, so awesome. That it's worth running seven miles back to wherever and spreading that same news to whoever I can. I don't know what kind of experiences you guys had. I don't know what your campus ministry back at home looks like. But here, in this place, in this ministry, for us, we believe with the bottom of our heart that you guys were made for more. We believe that there is life-changing power in Jesus Christ. We believe that if you understand that revelation, your hearts will burn on fire, just like it did with these two disciples. And we believe that if a generation understands that and have hearts that burn on fire, they'll transform nations, period. That's what we believe. That's why we do what we do. That's why I'm here talking with you guys when I could be doing a lot of other things. I would rather be here. There's no other place that I'd rather spend my Tuesday night than sitting here with you guys preaching to you about how freaking awesome God is. Amen? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, this is life. <laughs> this is life. This is life. You know, the cool thing about our ministry is that if you talk to any one of our staffs, they have the same story. They were once dead, and now they're alive. Each of them have that same story in different particular areas. Not all of them did drugs, praise God. You know, not all of them slept with massive amounts of people, praise God. You know, it's interesting because when I started dating my husband, my husband was a virgin. I'm going to just keep it real with you guys. Is that okay? Is that okay? My husband, he kept it holy. He, he lived a, a life opposite than me. He had the fear of God in him from a really young age. Me, I've, I lived a completely different life. And so when it was time to meet, I remember sitting in this 
um, this part and us hitting this reality that I was just like, snap, I'm not a virgin. Not only am I not a virgin, but I've slept with a lot of people and you a virgin, a guy, what would you want to do with me? We hit that point, you know? Um, not only was I a, not a virgin, but I was considered damaged goods. I've been raped before. And so on top of that, he's got to deal with those issues that those kind of burdens that I've been carrying. Well, thought I was carrying. And we hit this place and I remember sitting and him, him and I really talking deep about it, about, listen, this is my past. This is my past. We hit this crossroad. What are we going to do? And I said to him, I remember thinking in my mind, oh my gosh, he's totally going to break up with me. Like he's totally going to break up with me. And why wouldn't he? I remember sitting just as friends talking with him and he said, you know, I know the type of girl that God's going to, that God set apart for me is going to be holy and blameless. And she's going to be a virgin. I kid you not. We had this conversation and I sat there and I was like, good for you. You know, I was like, yeah. And, you know, I genuinely was like really happy for him. And I was like, for me, I, you know, tainted goods, tainted goods, you know. And so here we are at this park and I'm remembering this conversation and I'm thinking he's going to break up. He's going to break up. And God asking me, what are you going to do? And God said, if he breaks up with you, are you still going to believe that you were made new? If he can't get over it, are you still going to get over it? If he refuses to make you his wife because you're not a virgin anymore, are you still going to see yourself as holy and blameless? Are you going to believe that you were made alive with me? And I said, God, no matter what he says, I'm not going to walk away from my identity. I'm new. I'm whole. And he just looks at me, boyfriend at the time. And I said to him, listen, if you choose to break up with me, you're an idiot. (laughs) No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I thought that. I said, listen, if you choose to break up with me, I won't lose a single ounce of respect for you. At all. If you choose to break up with me, we'll walk away and I'll still respect who you are because I think you're an amazing person. And I will understand completely why we can't move forward. But I want you to know that if you break up with me, I still know who I am. And he looked at me and I was crying. And he looked at me, at me and he said, you don't get it. And I was like, you don't get it. No, I'm <laughs> I said, what, what don't I get? And he goes, no, I've already forgiven you. I said, what? And he goes, even before we had this conversation, I chose to forgive all of your past. I've already forgiven you. And I have no intention of breaking up with you. I was like, hey. <laughs> no, really? I was like, <laughs> I was crying. I was crying so hard because it just meant so much to me. When, when my husband and I got married, when I walked down the aisle, he married a virgin. That's what I truly believe. I was dead. I was dead. But I was made alive in Christ. And when I was made alive in Christ, I was made perfect, holy, righteous, and blameless. So when you look at me, you're not looking at an ex 
convict. I got arrested for real. <laughs> I have my mugshot somewhere at home. I got arrested for stealing. You guys, listen, I'm telling you, God, God did a deep work in me. Listen, if he can heal me, he can heal all y'all, all right? Whatever issues you got, it's all good, okay? Because I'm new, he can make all y'all new, okay? And so, um, I know. Um, but I was, I was made new. I was made alive. You're looking at a completely different person today because of it. You know, that's what I want to invite you to. We may not be walking on the road literally to Emmaus, but I believe you guys are walking a certain road. But I hope whatever your personal plans are, that there will be some sort of encounter and intervention. That whatever road you may be planning or that you're walking, that God's going to meet you. That Jesus, his supernatural resurrection power will meet you. How? Through the changed lives. Because when you listen to my story, you see the story of Jesus. When you listen to the story of the staff, you see the story of Jesus. We were once dead and we were made alive. So we're going to do a quick presentation for you guys because we're all about the presentations today. My staff, we're crazy. Um, and we're going to do something called a cardboard testimony. And we're just going to quickly show you a tidbit of some of the backgrounds that all these crazy people come from. Just because we want to let you guys know that there's no condemnation. There's no shame. This is not an environment where you got to hide stuff. For, with us, we just let it all air out. We just let it all air out. Why? Because we believe that God can change, that God can transform. Amen? And so I want you guys to just take a moment and be blessed.